Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Season's greetings and whatever else floats your boat. <laughs> Adjust as accordingly because Merry Christmas never left. We're, I can never left. I love all the holidays. If there's a holiday, I will celebrate it. And that's right. This is Josh Gilliland, and with me is... Ooh, me, Jessica Peterson. Hey, Josh. Howdy, howdy. <laughs> I'm hitting the eggnog hard already. <laughs> <laughs> we're here for our holiday special. Yes, it's that time of year for those who are rushing to do Christmas shopping or ordering things expedited on Amazon, whatever works. <laughs> whatever, whatever gets the present there on time, do what you got to do. And uh, we're here to talk about some holiday movies our favorites indeed so there there are many and just do you want to admit to everyone and yes this is a party admission about a movie you just watched for the yeah. first time it is in my long 29 years on this earth <laughs> um i have always not only not seen it's a wonderful life but actively avoided seeing it for two reasons one once everyone's seen something i get like this weird stubborn i'm not gonna watch it then like that's you know i resisted harry potter for a good decade or two um so partially that and also partially that even though i love classic films and love like the Catherine hepburn movies and Cary grant movies and stuff like that um you know i'd always for some reason i well i don't like really kind of sentimental films i like romantic comedies but I don't like like I've never watched an episode of this is us I don't like movies that make you cry or tv shows that make you cry kind of thing and so I thought oh it's just sentimental drivel so I'm not going to watch it but you my dear blogging buddy said that we should talk about it for this podcast so I'm like well if it's for the legal geeks of course I will do anything so I was like I will watch it's a wonderful life and as I was cramming in the finale tonight the kids actually had to watch this, the ending. I'm trying to explain everything that happened before the river to my kids because we basically watched it while eating dinner. Um, I have to admit, I got all choked up at the end. I was really genuinely moved. And so thank you, Joshua, for insisting that I watch it. It was your free will. I did not pressure for you in any way. <laughs> I chose, I consented, I agreed, but I am glad that you suggested it um, because it was really good. It is one of the finest movies ever made. It was the first movie Jimmy Stewart made after World War II. Uh -huh. And he was concerned he had lost his acting chops. And he, that, that fear was mistaken. <laughs> he, he, you know, he, he was a decorated bomber pilot. He would fly lead on the missions. Yeah, he, you know, Jimmy Stewart was an amazing human being yeah on, on top of being an, a, great, a great actor and this film is the high watermark of decency of it's a sci-fi movie a sci-fi christmas movie <laughs> it is there's an alternate timeline <laughs> yeah, it's literally he gets to see an alternate reality where he was never born and the impact that has upon society which is the town goes to hell. Lots of people get killed because his brother wasn't there to save them. Yeah. And it's just, it's the quintessential, like, what's life about? You know, and, and how life matters. And 
you know, I've always wanted to, you know, hoped that if I ever have a uh, George Bailey moment of, you know, telling a Mr. Potter where to go, like that I would do it, that I would have the, the wherewithal to recognize of, no, you listen here, Mr. Potter. And I mean, that, that smackdown of defending his dad, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the importance of the, the Bailey building and loan, you know, just rocks. It is such a poignant scene as, as are all the scenes throughout the movie. Uh, well and i have to say watching it in 2018 may have actually meant it meant more to me than say if i'd watched it in the 90s or even the aughts maybe before the housing crisis um because and they you know there was a lot of talk about this with wonder woman too that wonder woman marked sort of a a turning point in cinema away from total snarky sarcastic nothing matters kind of nihilism a return to like earnest, good heroes who do the right thing because it's the right thing to do kind of thing. Um, And so at George Bailey, where maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I might have rolled my eyes a little bit. Yes, seeing somebody who acts out of decency, who isn't motivated by greed, and in fact stands as a counter to the greedy banker who basically wants to take everyone's money. I mean, the whole of the housing implications that actually are all still significant today, too. I mean, nearly, I guess, about 100 years later, but many, many decades later, it's amazing how much of this is not only still relevant, but maybe even more relevant than it has been in decades. Oh, they had just come off of the Great Depression and World War II. So you you have that, you know, in the gestalt of society, you know, with, with Frank Kappa and Jimmy Stewart, like they, they lived it. Kappa is amazing at telling those stories. So you you can't help but, you know, get sucked in and feel it, especially after, you know, the recessions that we've had in our lifetime. Well, and I actually, as I was watching, I'm a big fan of this fantastic podcast about old Hollywood called You Must Remember This. And um, I forget the host's name, but she did this whole thing on blacklisting in Hollywood. And obviously how it was basically certain writers, if they pass through certain messages in their movies they were viewed as a threat to America, an enemy of the people, um, you know, and possible communist agents. And two of the big messages that were seen as problems were either any message of civil rights, because in the FBI's uh, eyes and in the McCarthyist kind of eyes, basically if you were for civil rights, that was anti-American and pro-communist, which was sad. But the other thing was obviously kind of being anti to capitalist, right? If you didn't revere the capitalist pig, that was an American. And so I actually had to look up the screenwriters and there was a, an original husband and wife, but they had a falling out with Frank Capra, the, uh, the director. And so there were actually a series of screenwriters on this movie, but two of the ones who were credited were people um, who were being watched by the FBI. One, the fabulous Dorothy Parker, of course, one of the great wits of the Algonquin table, but also Dalton Trumbo, who was a blacklisted um, screenwriter. So, I mean, this was very much, as I was watching this, I'm like, this does seem like the sort of movie that would definitely have been on it. In fact, it was on the FBI's radar because of that, because Lionel Barrymore, who played the evil banker, Drew Barrymore's grandpa, um, because they basically made him the villain, the FBI was like, this has to be communist propaganda. So I think that's interesting, too. Agreed. There, there's a lot that happens in this story 
and a lot of wonderful legal uh, implications as well. Never mind the housing blow up and and the Great Depression and what happened there. Like <laughs> that that spurred a whole bunch of regulations. Mm-hmm. And and um, in, in my honest belief, in, in an alternate timeline, if Herbert Hoover had been elected in 1924 instead of 1928, I don't think we would have had the Great Depression. Ooh, but, interesting. We'll have to do a whole separate podcast on that alternate realities with different presidential elections. Yeah, and, and I could be wrong on that, but that's just that's just my read of the man since he's known as the forgotten progressive. And uh, but that's that's a sideline right now. Uh, more about Hawkeyes later. Uh, but let's 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 jump into one of the big issues of right at the end. Yeah. Did Mrs. Welch violate the establishment clause by telling her students that every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings? <laughs> and, and, and just just my quick thought on the lemon test of, you know, is there a secular purpose, whether its primary purpose is to advance or inhibit religion, whether it creates an excessive entanglement re- with religion. You know, if you were, if you were like, full-on blue state, like hyper-liberal, you, you could probably argue all those things with a straight face. Or if you, you know, have a little eggnog with brandy in it, you might go like, nah, she's just being nice. Let, <laughs> let that one go. If she does anything more, talk to her, but probably non-secular enough. Just, just leave it alone after that. Yeah. Uh, the other one... Mr. Potter keeps the $8,000. Yes, I bet that's what you were referring to. That is obviously the big one, which that is the one unsatisfying part about this. And I guess that's because it's a good, wholesome movie. I'm like, what happens to Potter? Like, he should, you know, something should happen to him. They, let's, let's just, let's think about this. The, uh, I once did, did the conversion rate on what $8,000 in 1945 would, would be today. And it's, I think it's like a hundred thousand or something like that. Woo. It's uh, uh, we we could do the math. And the point is, where's he going to keep it? Just put it in the bank, and like eventually, that's going to get accounted for. Yes, there is an unexplained eight thousand. I mean, well, if you follow everything he's doing there, the first and obvious one is conversion, right? Because mm-hmm. um, it's not really theft, but he didn't actually take it, but he did keep it, and it was not his to keep. Um, but then, basically, what he was doing with it, especially, did he say that he was filing a police report? I think he said, or he was going to call the police. Something with the police. So right. So that's obviously, and then of course, if he doesn't turn over the money, you could argue obstruction of justice. I hear that's a pretty effective tool to use. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's that's not come up at all recently. And uh, you're not murdering anyone, so you know. (laughs) Who cares? Who cares? It's not like lawyers get disbarred or go to prison for that sort of thing. So Uh, it would be. Uh, what a hundred and ten thousand dollars, give or take, in two thousand seven, from two thousand seventeen to forty five. So, people would notice that. People well, would, and if he keeps it, that's income. And then if he doesn't report it, that's tax fraud. And mobsters go to prison for that, even. Indeed, they do. So he could be sharing a cell with Al Capone and Alcatraz. So, that's right. Yeah, all kinds of evil things could happen to. 
Mr. Well, Potter. and I see too, to the extent, I mean, obviously there's all the criminal stuff, but then civilly too, you know, basically if he had agreed to any kind of loan um, to uh, George, where George was willing to pay like whatever obscene interest rate and usury laws, I think back then they actually did still have usury laws for obscene insurance. I think those are, or interest rates. I think those are pretty much gone, but you could argue fraud in the inducement, right? Like he had knowledge of a material fact that he withheld from George to induce him to enter into a contract, which as a civil litigator, I can tell you, we love fraud and the inducement claims because unlike other contract claims, a fraud and the inducement claim, you can get rid of the entire contract, make it like it never happened, make it an alternative reality. But those are really hard to prove because you have to prove that the person intentionally knew and withheld that information to induce you into enter into the contract. But in this case, it would have been a very um, a good uh, case for that. Indeed, there would be. There are other ones, you know, such as when the stock market crashes and there's the run on the banks. We have the commingling of funds with the honeymoon money at the Bailey Building and Loan, where uh, uh, you know, uh, Donna Reed has the wonderful idea yeah. of of saving the day with with the honeymoon money. And we'll talk more about her in a minute. But, yeah, we need to. Uh, Mild commingling issue. Now they could they could go back and they went okay. We got what two grand. They can you know they were taking notes of who was getting what, so they could figure out a way to say like, hey, we loaned the money to, you know, to our business, but uh, they would need to do a lot of work to make all the accounting work. Yeah, good point. Yeah, could be done, but would be messy and not plan A. But there was a run on the bank, and they were in an emergency situation to make sure things didn't go south. So I I see what they were doing there. Uh, We have have the house, which is either abandoned property or they get through adverse possession. I don't know which. Uh, That's a little exciting because... That is, yeah. They never really do discuss it. I'm going for adverse possession. But if it's abandoned, nobody owns it. That's true. Well, there's probably some long lost heir somewhere, right? Like presumably somebody died and there's a, what is it? Remember they call that the laughing heir, you know, when you find out that like your great, great uncle died and left you a whole bunch of money kind of thing. So it could have been some was, distant relative. For a while there, I, I don't remember. It's I've repressed that. Uh, <laughs> All so right, the laughing heir. So, um, so in theory, there could have been somebody or the bank could have repossessed it, of course, too, um, at some point. There, yes, which would be more likely today. Yes. Unless you're in a place that has like a giant toxic waste dump and everyone just up and leaves. But, yeah. you know, there, there's, there are situations where that could come in. So, so this, Donna Reed, you know, uh, my archetype of what I judge dates by and that's probably not fair. No, that's ahead. probably not healthy because I do, of course, as a woman in 2018, have some issues with her. I mean, she's wonderful, but that's kind of, again, it is the man's fictionalized version of the perfect wife who never complains, raises four small children while also like rebuilding a house, doesn't get mad when her husband is being an incredible jackass on the phone kind of thing, and twice 
saves the day for him, but lets him get like all the credit and love. So I do actually blame, you know, there's a lot of issues as much as I love Hollywood. Hollywood is to blame for a lot of our perceptions. And yes, yeah, so if you're out there looking for a Mary, <laughs> that's like watching Cinderella and going, that's my idea of a perfect lady. She just sits there and sweeps up the cinders until I come to rescue her. But she was the one who did all the saving. So she did do all the saving, but then she still, it's, you know, it's the old behind every great man is a great woman kind of expression because that was back in the days when women weren't allowed. If she'd been running the building, like the loan building and loan association, whatever, probably never would have had any of these financial problems. It would have been a raging success and she would have run Potter out of town. Well, I think there's the bigger issue of employing Uncle Billy. That yes, that's true. They should have canned him a long time ago. <laughs> so George doesn't have the heart to fire his <laughs> uncle, who's <laughs> the source of problems. But that's, um, uh, yeah, if Mary had been there instead of Uncle Billy, they probably would have had a lot less stress. They would have taken over the world. Mary <laughs> is fabulous. But yes, as I was watching this, I'm like, come on like this is just you know and I mean George is very sweet but you know and she sits around and waits for him even when he's not sure and he's being all like whatever I'm like Mary you are freaking awesome like you deserve way better than this and some guy who was like fine I'll marry you kind of thing so well you throw in her mother I agree with her mother she should have married Sam it's gold digger you know no uh, just sam actually appreciated her and was trying to get her well while sam's out gallivanting with other women true calling it's like they weren't committed yes yeah that's that's they weren't (laughs) poly whatever it was it was immoral and that's problematic in my book that being said mary's extremely strong she's resourceful she Instead of when, when looking at George having his full-on mental breakdown, mm-hmm. her reaction is like, my husband doesn't normally act like this. Something's clearly wrong. And yes. instead of getting into a fight, she not only diffuses the situation, goes into problem-solving mode to figure out what just happened that put him over the edge. Yes, that is very good of her. But he did deserve a talking to for the way he spoke to the teacher on the phone. Agreed. Absolutely. And, and she did, you know, she did mm-hmm. give a glare at him with like, what the hell? You know, what the hell? Uh, but she took that as a warning sign of like, something is definitely wrong. Yes. And he's not telling me what's wrong because he's doing the carry the weight of the world on my shoulders. And if he had just told his wife this happened, she, she would have rallied regardless of like, oh, then we'll do this. That is true. So true. She's kind of like Princess Leia. She never gets to have the meltdown. She never gets to run off and have a crisis of faith. She just has to keep chugging along, taking care of everyone. There's a, I have friends who are librarians who absolutely wig out with the, you know, with Clarence saying, you won't like it. She's an old maid. She's closing the library. So the two librarians I know, like, they're like, (laughs) they find that radically offensive. I do too. Well, just the old maid part, first of all. I'm like, she's lucky. She didn't have to get married to a man back in those days when, like, you know, they could drink and do whatever, and you were stuck in marriage with them forever. So, yeah, I actually was like, lucky lady. But, yes, that was an offensive line, too. Let's pivot to other strong women in holiday classics. So I dug into Miracle on 34th Street, which the female lead 
as an executive at Macy's in charge of the parade, in charge of all the Christmas exhibit and everything, single mom who was divorced while pregnant or while the right after the kid had been born. So for like 1947, that's rare to, to have a... Dang! A, a, yeah, so and, and she starts dating a lawyer who's one of the heroes of the story. Which, which I think is awesome. Now I'm so going to have to go watch that movie, which I've always resisted. The Watch the 1947 version is, is my... Okay. You, you could watch the, the remake from, what was it, 99 or 2001, some, somewhere in no. there. Uh, so Fred uh, Galley, uh, who's played by John Payne, is the lawyer. Well, they have this guy who says he's Chris Kringle, claims that he's Santa Claus. Well, he ends up getting into a fight with somebody who claims he's a psychologist and giving bad medical advice. So Kringle bops this guy on the head with his cane. Yeah, that's battery and bad. So I'm not going <laughs> to argue that. That was absolutely unjustified and there should have been legal consequences for it, but not in voluntary confinement. And that's where, that's where things get wacky because there turns into a competency hearing on whether or not Chris Kringle was a danger to himself and others. Oh. Well, the legal argument is he's not crazy because he is Santa Claus. Yeah. Which re- <clears throat> so the lawyer represents Chris Kringle. The, his partners say, you have to drop this case. And he refuses to drop it and quits the law firm in order to represent somebody in legal need. Whoa. That is... You can't just drop a client. You no. can't go, yeah, this is going to be bad for the firm, so I quit. You can't just withdraw. That's not a reason to withdraw. No. And California has a wonderful line in our ethics rules about helping people. And let's just pull it up. It's sections, uh, California Business and Profession Code, section 6068H which says, let's just pull it up so I get it absolutely right, because, you know, we're kind of all about that. Uh, <clears throat> never to reject for any consideration personal to him, him herself or herself the cause of the defenseless or the oppressed. Well, a nice old man being sent to an insane asylum would fall into that category. And we're shit. Yeah. The two- the toady from the department store who's trying to cover up the mess that he made tried to buy off the lawyer, which the lawyer rightly refused. So there's all kinds of fun issues there of if he had been the DA or the judge, that would be obstruction of justice and bribery and all that good stuff. But the lawyer hangs in and defends Chris Kringle. And it's an amazing courtroom Christmas movie. No way! I did not know this. Yeah, watch it. I, I won't spoil anything further, but Thank those you. are the big big legal issues of, and then everyone lives happily ever after. It's like we... <laughs> we but it, it's a wonderful courtroom Christmas movie. Ooh, all right. I will have to check that out. How about that? Yeah, I'd say most of my uh, 
favorite Christmas movies are, I do not consider them classics. However, my high school mentee was recently watching some classic films, she said, and they were all films from the 90s. And so I then about had a heart attack. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm like, way to make me feel old. Um, but uh, yeah, my favorite classics, unfortunately, do not have strong female leads. But that's because it was hard in the, you know, 90s and 80s and 90s to get a lot of that. But I will say that um, Love Actually, of course, is my go-to. And Emma Thompson's pretty good in that. Um, there's some of the other dynamics of like the inappropriately old politician Hugh Grant, no matter how adorable he is, dating the far too young woman. Um, and of course, Colin Firth, again, no matter how adorable he is, supposedly falling in love with the woman who cleans his house who he can't talk to. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's not like a, you know, a sexist relationship on which to start uh, a sexist basis on which to start a relationship. That being said, it is adorable. And when he goes to see her in the restaurant in Portugal, that is one of my favorite scenes. Um, but of course, there you do have all kinds of potential workplace issues, obviously, with the um, Emma Thompson's husband. And I'm blanking on his name. Oh, Alan Rickman. Um, and obviously, he wasn't necessarily harassing his secretary, but I'm like, obviously, if that went south, she would have a very good claim against him. Um, you did have Laura Linney, and she had the workplace kind of romance, but that was between coworkers. So as long as it's all like consensual, um, and then there's no fallout after their relationship fizzled, that, that would not be a problem. So the politician, that's just going to be a scandal. Well, and you actually did have the harassment, right, where Billy Bob Thornton, playing kind of the Clinton-esque sort of candidate, actually did attempt to do some sort of sexual harassment put on this very vague exactly what happens so but clearly something inappropriate happened there so that would be an unsafe work environment yeah probably more believable with the trump but that's just me but that's uh yeah yeah the movie that stars all of great britain I know. Well, and it's kind of the movie that started off, I think, this whole idea of all these holiday films now, where it's a bunch of different little stories that are somewhat connected. Like, I think there was a bad Valentine's Day. 30 Rock then made a spoof of that, I think, with like Mother's Day or something. Basically, all the other ones are bad. But Love Actually, I watch every single year, and I love it every single year. It's been a few years since I've seen it. And because it's one of those things where I'm not the target demographic. And... uh, (laughs) Single male? Yes, that that sounds like something I'm just going to pop in when when I get home. Um, Hey, you should. Masculinity in 2018 is not as toxic as it used to be. But I will say, speaking of toxic masculinity, um, Bruce Willis, one of the prime examples, I do love Die Hard, and I also consider that a Christmas movie that I watch every year. And I was on the whole Die Hard as a Christmas movie before that got a trendy, became trendy on the interwebs. So I've been making younger generation people watch it. And, you know, these younger people are so used to action from, like, start to finish that they're so incredibly bored for the first half of Die Hard. And, like, my son's like, why are we watching this? But then the second half, he's like, oh, yeah, I get it now. So, and now they get it why Jake Peralta likes it in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Plot development. That's how this works. (laughs) (laughs) Character development. You have to get, oh, and speaking of Alan Rickman again, right? Yeah. The, the, The ultimate bad guy. It's just. <clears throat> such a wonderful movie. Absolutely. It is, but you have to get to know him and know how vicious and evil he is before, yes, all the action starts happening. It's, so it's earned. But, <laughs> uh, kids today. Uh. Yes. And obviously the big thing there is bank robbery and murder. 
those are probably the big legal issues. <laughs> and then you get into minor <laughs> jurisdictional fights between the oh, FBI. Right. <laughs> and it's more Johnsons. And, uh, uh, let's close with with the one of the first Christmas specials. Uh, I think it was technically the second. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Ah. Wonderful issues of bullying where the coach seems to be in on it. So there's state action right there. So <laughs> that's bad. You then have issues of um, uh, whether or not you can have nasal discrimination. And that's not something that, that you could sue for. It's like suing for being discriminated against because of eye color. That's not one of the, the areas that, that is protected. That is not a protected class. That's right. And, and the, the law is silent on nose color. So that's why it's, <laughs> it's, it's not there. No one has a glowing nose. If, if, we, if that turned into a thing, we could probably get that through. Uh, and then, you know, Hermie like, pulls out all the snow monster's teeth. And that's just brutal torture. <laughs> like, or just, unlicensed dentistry, <laughs> at least. There's no way. Like, there's no good way to do that. And uh, <laughs> I mean, and pure discrimination with the island of misfit toys. We'll put them on an island. Oh, yes. We don't like your con around here. It's a... Uh, it is a dark special. I haven't watched it in years because it's actually kind of dark. I always had very mixed feelings about that as a kid. So they they just released a special collector's edition with, with, the, uh, uh, with all those specials. And there's commentary on them. So I literally just arrived today. So I will be checking that out before the holidays. So with that, I know you have a daughter to pick up from a after school event. I do. So, so in order to- I know I don't look old enough to have a daughter, but yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's in that one of those advanced classes for six-year-olds learning, yeah, basketball or something. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) Nothing more will be said. So with that, everyone have a very happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year's, and stay geeky. Stay geeky, America.